All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. I have a very special guest in friend on today, Steve, Dr. Steve Meyer. Uh, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, John. It's a blessing to be here. Oh, my goodness. So, Steve, you and I met, oh, my gosh, it's well over 10 years ago. I was doing some work in your city, and you guys became clients of mine, and we just totally hit it off, you and I. And I got to tell everybody out there, it's just amazing, and you're going to hear more. This is uh, what you're about to hear is one of the most incredible and powerful stories, testimonies, working of God in a miraculous way that you've ever heard. But Steve, I was on LinkedIn, and you and I hadn't talked for like literally that, you know, a decade, I think, almost. I think we met almost 20 years ago, and it had been a decade. And I'm not a tech guy. I just, someone said, you got to get on LinkedIn because it's good for your ministry, and I just did, and all these names come up, except, except, and they're like, oh, John Ramstead. I remember John. Gosh, he and I were really, really close. I wonder what he's up to, and somehow we got connected. Yeah, and I saw your name. I re- I think I shot you just a quick note, and you sent me a note back immediately and told me about this book you've written, and then everybody, Steve shared with me a story that blew me away. So just a little background. Steve is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon. And, you know, you and I spoke a little bit about this in the past, but you have this, you have this incredible kind of born again experience back in 95 when you were in China and, you know, and then you and your wife actually founded this organization, the Siouxland Tanzania Educational and Medical Missionary called STEM. And that's where our story revolves around. And you wanted to transform lives and hearts, people in Tanzania. And here's the crazy thing is Steve and I were talking. I'm like, yeah, my son took a gap year from college and went with YWAM for a year mission, ended up spending almost three months in Arusha, Tanzania. And that is, it was somebody from YWAM that led you to the Lord. It's also in Arusha, Tanzania, where all of this happened, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, it's just amazing how God weaves this incredible tapestry that looks like the random threads on the back of uh, your grandma's needlepoint. When you turn it over, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like that uh, Jeremiah passage that said, I know the plans I have for you. And I think that God's plans are so relational. I mean, our mission stem is driven by the mantra of spirit-led and relationally driven. And I think we sometimes forget the relationally driven part. I think that is so important that it's the vertical relationship with Christ and the horizontal relationship with other people. And that's uh, how God invokes his plan for mankind. I was just talking about this with a friend of mine who's actually a non-believer. Uh, we were just talking about some of the hearts that, that the perception, I guess, of Christianity is a brand, especially from her perspective. And when you think of the fruits of the Spirit, right, love, joy, peace, but kindness, mm-hmm. patience, you know, you don't hear a lot of that in some of the rhetoric, it should be front and center from our side, regardless of where somebody comes from or the choices that they're making, right? I, I think it's, uh, we have to, I love what John Maxwell always says, you know what, you have to connect with somebody before you can pull. You have to have a rapport and a relationship, like you just said, with somebody before you can have an influence, any kind of positive influence toward um, the kingdom, toward God, toward, you know, maybe different choices, better choices if if that's appropriate. So I was going to say that's a great setup for an amazing part of the answer the call book miracle story in how it impacted a young Muslim boy. And we'll get into that, but it's exactly what you said, John. And and, uh, that's a great segue into 
the whole story. Well, here, do this, because everybody's been hearing about this incredible story. I would like you to kind of just, the 50,000-foot view of what, you know, what ha- why you wrote the book, and then let's kind of go back and then bring people up to the, the point when everything happened and then what happened afterwards. How's that? So what's the yeah. book about? Answer the call. Yeah, the book is called Answer the Call because a miraculous uh, set of circumstances were put before us where everybody answered God's call to make um, multiple miracles happen. So in May of 2017, our STEM organization was ostensibly bringing just our board of directors over to celebrate 20 years of success where we've sent 10,000 kids to the school. We're having feeding camps for grade school kids, feeding 6,000 kids a hot meal a day. Um, We've done thousands of operations. We have a beautiful orphanage. We're impacting lives for Christ in a Muslim village beyond anything anyone in that country has ever seen. But we're having a 20-year kind of celebration. And about a month before uh, we're ready to take off, a buddy of mine who's very instrumental in this story, Lazaro Nalandu, who went to school of all places in Waldorf uh, College in Iowa, uh, calls me up and says, hey, dude, you have got to pull the trigger and bring a medical team to my constituency in Singida, Tanzania, where they have two million people and not a single orthopedic surgeon. Well, in Sioux City, Iowa, we've got 100,000 people and you can't throw a dead cat without finding an orthopedic surgeon. I mean, <laughs> usually there's, you know, an orthopedic surgeon for every five to 10,000 people. They have none for two million. And I said, Lazaro, it takes months for people to decide to travel 10,000 miles and spend two, 3,000 bucks. I said, I'll never find anybody to help me and I can't do it alone. He said, hey, buddy, I believe God wants you to come. So first person I ask is an old friend of mine who's an athletic trainer. He works for uh, Sunnybrook uh, Reformed Church now. I said, Kevin, uh, I really need you to come on this trip. He says, no way. I got baseball practice, yada, yada, yada. So I went to the head pastor, who's his boss, and said, Kevin needs to go on this trip. He goes, yeah, I think so too. So the next day, Kevin calls and says, you knucklehead, you basically got my boss to make me go on this trip. So Kevin's in. There's another gal who's a nurse practitioner who hosted an OBGYN surgeon that we brought from Tanzania to have OBG, to have back surgery so he could still practice. She hosted him. She's been making overtures about going, but it's only a month out. I said, hey, Jen, I'm leaving in a month. Any way you could go? And she goes, yeah, it's time for me to go. Then inexplicably, a lady shows up in my office with her handicapped child because I'm a pediatric orthopedist by trade. And I examine the kid and she says, hey, you remember my husband? You saved his leg 18 years ago. Well, I didn't remember him, but she said, we've been praying about your ministry for a long time. And I said, oh, that's awesome. What do you do? Would you like to go to Tanzania? She said, yeah, I'm a nurse. I'd love to go sometime. I said, how about four Wait, weeks? wait, wait, hold on. So you just meet her, you reconnect. I've like, never, never. You're yeah, like, I don't, hey, how are you? You know, hey, yeah, kind of. And thanks for praying. And hey, do you want to go? Do you want to go? I haven't talked to this lady since I took care of her husband 18 years ago. I said, you want to go on a trip in four weeks? And on the spot, she says, yeah. So three wow. people in three days agree to go on a trip four weeks away. That That's never, ever happened. So we go to this town of Singida. In the month that Lazaro, my friend, had asked me, and the time we got there, the president of Tanzania, John Magafuli, had fired the district medical officer, the regional medical officer, and the chief executive officer of the hospital. So all my connections were gone. And so all the emails I sent to all these people that they didn't respond to, I thought they had gotten, and they had set up this huge clinic, because normally we go in and there's 500 people waiting for us to do clinic. We go there and there are three people and two of them have jaw pain. And immediately the three people that spent two grand to go on this trip are like, what the heck has God up to? I said, you know what? I have no clue, but God's got a plan. You guys are here for a reason. Hmm. 
Hmm. I said, tomorrow the board of directors are going on safari. Just call them. I'll call them. You hook up with them. Take a day off. We'll figure out uh, plan B. I said, do not forget to be at the gate of the safari in Ngorogoro Crater by 7 a.m. You have to be early or the animals will be asleep. Well, long story short, someone forgot their camera. They stopped and bought a bunch of carvings and curios. They were an hour and a half late. And they were exactly on God's time because they were the third vehicle behind the worst bus crash in Tanzanian history where 38 people were on a bus, seventh grade kids going from Arusha, Tanzania to another town called Karatu, an hour and a half away, to have mock exams with other classmates and play soccer. It was kind of a field day for them. Their bus went down a steep, uh, muddy ravine uh, on the road and crashed, uh, fell 150 feet nosedived and our team was only two minutes behind that if they would have been on time my time they had had been in the review mirror they they would have read about it in the paper but they were exactly on god's time they pulled over the vehicle they waded through 35 dead bodies seventh grade kids and you were there steve i wasn't i i was not on site i was back at our orphanage doing i don't go on safari anymore because been there done that and i got work to do for, for my boss, <laughs> right. same guy as your, same guy as your boss. And so, but they made the vehicle driver stop and there were kids that were dismembered. There were kids with their skulls split open. It was horrific. They found three kids that still had a heartbeat, but one of them, Sadia, a beautiful young Muslim girl, uh, had fixed and dilated pupils. They loaded them in the back of a pickup. They went on safari. So what does fixed and dilated pupils mean? Fixed and dilated pupils means that for all intents and purposes, she's basically brain dead, but she still has a pulse. Okay. Wow. So they went on safari and the Ngorogoro crater is amazing. It's a crater full of wildlife. And as soon as they drove in, they saw this amazing thing called the ground rainbow. And they said they felt this incredible spirit filled moment where God spoke to all three of them and said, it's going to be okay. Well, the next day they come back from safari. We go to church. And they are basically in the afternoon while I'm doing meetings, wandering aimlessly through Arusha. And they see a newsstand with a newspaper with their picture on the front paper, on the front cover of the paper. And they said to the newsstand boy, hey, why are we in the paper? And they said, well, you're heroes. You saved those three kids. And they inquired, where are the kids at? Thinking that they would still be in Karatu an hour and a half away where the crash occurred. And they said, oh, they're three blocks away at Mount Meru Hospital. So they jumped in their vehicle, ran there at five o'clock in the afternoon, and were told it's past visiting hours and no one can see these kids. They're critically ill, and they really needed to see these kids to have some kind of closure. Well, they're standing there praying, and a well-dressed Tanzanian approaches them and says, yeah, I recognize you guys from your picture in the paper. I'm the Minister of Health. Let's go see the kids. An amazing miracle just to see them. They went and saw the kids. Believe it or not, all three were still. If that hadn't happened, they weren't going to let the, the this medical team in to see right. the kids, right? Right. They were never going to get in to see the kids, and that had been the end of the story. So they see the kids, see the dire conditions in this hospital where one of the girls, Doreen, who had such a shattered face that she couldn't even breathe, was mechanically ventilated with an Ambu bag for 14 hours until she started breathing on her own. She wasn't even breathing. And so some poor nurse had to sit there every three seconds and squeeze this bag for 14 hours to keep her alive. And so these kids were in dismal conditions. 
they were they had 25 fractures between them, including one girl, Doreen, had four shattered vertebrae in her back, another girl a broken neck, bones sticking out of their legs. Uh, little Wilson had an open femur fracture. And these kids were basically dying, but at least they saw that they were still alive. They came back to our orphanage about an hour away. We're ha we had supper, and I'm outside on the deck, and I'm just trying to assimilate all the amazing things that had just transpired and make some sense of it. And my wife, who was along on the trip, inside the guest house we have, texts me and says, we need to bring these kids back to America. And I said, woman, you've just totally lost your mind. I said, there's no way the Tanzanian government who is very sovereign right now, they've turned down millions and millions of dollars of USAID because they quotes don't need it, is gonna allow these kids to go out of the country because it will look bad for them. It'll be a, a smackdown for them. That's never gonna happen. And yeah, I said, there's can, no- you know, and, and can I uh, just jump yeah. in there too? My son, when he was in Arusha for three months, he said, you know, because it, you know, Tanzania had been colonized, right? When right. outside yep. people, outside entities are giving advice, for even just small changes. It took them a year to get approval because of the, the ministry that was operating there through YWAM to build a pigsty so they could actually actually raise pigs in a way to raise money to support a ministry. Even small things like you know care, things like that, take a tremendous amount of time and it takes a coalition. It takes basically the village and the elders to make a decision. So I'm sure some of this is going through your mind that, hey, if we want to make a decision like in the present, like now, right? The, everything is kind of stacked against us. Is that correct? Oh. Well, yeah, I said the odds of Tanzania facilitating letting these kids go is well above one in a thousand. And I said, then there's no hospital I know of that I have a connection with. The one trauma hospital in Sioux City is Mercy Hospital, and they run significant red ink every year. I mean, they are in the hole financially. I said, there's no way they're going to expend hundreds of thousands of dollars for three African strangers. That's a one in a thousand odd. And then to get three critically ill dying kids across the Atlantic Ocean is more than one in a thousand. So I literally said to her, Yeah, because you can't you can't fly commercial. No, are you that, kidding? These these kids were, you know, partly paralyzed. They had broken necks. I mean they were they would have been in, in the US parlance all three in critical condition. And so I said, if you take one in a thousand times one in a thousand times one in a thousand, it's a one in a billion moonshot. And she said, hey, with God, it's not impossible. I remember that passage, John. I remember very clearly at that moment, with man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. So I said, baby, if God wants it to happen, it's the only way, but I'll do my part. So I called my friend Lazaro, who had called a month before to get us to bring a medical team and said, Hey, here's a situation. Dana thinks we should bring these kids back to America, my wife. And he goes, dude, are you crazy? There's no way, but I'll do my part. Six hours later, he calls me at 5 AM and says, Hey, get into town. And so I drove 45 minutes from our orphanage into Arusha. We had coffee. He said, I got to introduce you to somebody. We drive into this incredibly guarded compound. Uzi's on the belts, hand grenades, he opens the door, says, Steve, meet the vice president of Tanzania. I mean, for a little farm boy from Northwest Iowa, that was like, whoa, are you kidding me? In six hours, you arranged for a meeting with the vice president of a sovereign country. So I go in and meet Mama Sumai. Lazaro says, this is Dr. Steve from STEM. And she goes, oh, I know Dr. Steve. I met him 18 years ago with the then first lady, Anna Mkapa. And I remembered that meeting when she mentioned it. And she went on to say, I remember him as a very nice young man. And I flippantly said, 
Well, at least half of that is still true. And that kind of broke the ice on this very solemn occasion. We had a nice conversation. She was stone-faced. We go to see the kids. And the first time I'd seen the kids, and these kids are literally dying in front of my eyes. They have mm-hmm. high fevers. They all have forearm fractures from bracing themselves from the crash. And while we're seeing the kids, she gets a phone call, and I happened to look at her phone, and it said Maga Fooley, which is the president. She goes over, jaws with the president. She's shaking her head, nodding her head. I'm trying to get a read on her, what her answer was, because I knew at that moment that she had the answer. She gave me nothing. We then went to a soccer stadium where 120,000 people were eight blocks surrounding a 20,000-seat soccer stadium to memorialize all these kids. It was an incredibly solemn day. It was misty, rainy. Every East African news channel, the BBC, it was an incredible scene. Mama Sumai, the vice president, gets up at the end of four hours of eulogies from every rabbi, priest, and... And this uh, is because 35 of the 38 kids had passed away in the accident, and that's what this was for, correct? Absolutely. So they were having a huge memorial service, and the entire country of Tanzania was just taken aback by grief and shock. I mean, it was a very shocking experience for this to happen. Mama Samai, the vice president, gets up and says, before I give my eulogy, I want to thank the three American heroes, Kevin, Manda, and Jennifer, who without which there would be three more caskets here. But I really want to thank my friend, Dr. Steve, for his promise to take these kids back to America. So literally in front of the entire eastern half of the world, uh, Europe, all of East Africa, she threw the gauntlet down and said I had promised when I had never said anything. So this is Monday at four o'clock and we're leaving Tanzania at five o'clock on Wednesday. So I've got 48 hours to find a hospital and to find a way for these kids to get back. The night before I had actually called my Congressman Steve King, who's a very good friend of mine, who was in Albania of all places, took my phone call at 11 o'clock at night saying, when I saw my phone ring with a Tanzanian number, I knew it could only be my crazy friend, Dr. Steve, who must be calling with something really important because he doesn't dabble in, in minor things. He took my phone call. I explained the situation to him. He said he would put all of his power with the State Department, Homeland Security behind this request of, him, of mine. I'd also called the med exec director who just happened to be a previous board member of STEM at Mercy Hospital in Sioux City. I threw it out to him and he goes, dude, I think there's no way that we can afford that, but your timing is impeccable because tomorrow morning I'm going to a med exec meeting and I'll definitely put it out in front of them. So Monday at four o'clock, the vice president throws a gauntlet down. I get right in touch with Steve King. He said, I'm on it. I'm t-. He worked through five embassies in six days in Eastern Europe, talking to all the people that he could con- connect with regarding passports and visas and trying to find a plane for the kids through our uh, Medivac uh, services through the uh, U.S. military. Meanwhile, Dr. Joyce uh, was working with Mercy Hospital. I called them both back at 4 o'clock, and Steve Joyce said, you're not going to believe this. I just got out of the Medexec meeting, and Mercy said, whatever it takes, we're 100% in. So I've got basically 48 hours to find a way for the kids to get back. So the next 48 hours, I didn't sleep the entire time. I called every congressman, senator, private person with a plane. On Tuesday night um, at 5 o'clock, I got a call from Steve Bannon's chief of staff who said Steve Bannon was going to call me to get the story to present to Mike Pence to get a medevac plane over. So at that point, we are pretty elated thinking that the U.S. military is going to come through. Well, five o'clock in the morning rolls around on Wednesday morning. and I get no call. I called Steve King 
And he said, I just got off the phone with Bannon's people. They were going to send the kids back to America until they found out they were not U.S. citizens. And they pulled the plug. So I've got now I've got 12 hours from Wednesday morning at 5 a.m. until 5 o'clock Wednesday night to find a way for these kids to get back. And we tried every private uh, medevac service. The cheapest we could find was 300,000 U.S. dollars to get these kids back. Wow. And so the tension is building. I go see the kids and they they are really literally dying in front of my eyes. And I'm frantically making phone calls. And I get back to the orphanage at four o'clock. Our bus is leaving to go to the airport at five. I'm packing my bags. My wife, my dear wife, starts throwing my clothes out of my suitcase. And I said, woman, what are you doing? And she said, you can't go back. You're the only orthopedic surgeon with the skills to possibly save one or two of these kids. You got to stay. And I said, I got a life. I haven't slept in three days. I got kids. I got to practice. I'm leaving. And just while we're about ready to physically, I think, get into it, my phone rings in the kitchen. I run out to the kitchen. I'm dripping wet because I just got out of the shower. I pick up my phone and it says North Carolina. And John, I swear to God, I thought, how did telemarketers find me <laughs> in Tanzania? I said, well, I better answer this. I answered and a call that changed Tanzania, Dr. Meyer, this is Franklin Graham with Samaritan's Purse. Wow. Somehow, Steve King had met Franklin Graham two weeks before at a pro-life rally. They had a strong connection based on that one physical meeting. At the very last minute, Steve King from, I think, Lithuania or one of those countries called Franklin Graham, explained the situation. Franklin Graham immediately called me 10 minutes before I was supposed to leave on a bus, explained the fact that they had a DC-8 that they fly into natural disasters, found out afterwards that when Steve King called Franklin, Franklin had run it by his staff and they said to him, we don't do that kind of thing. We don't do medevacs. And Franklin Graham said, this is exactly what God wants us to do. So Franklin called me, offered their plane, and about four days later, visas and passports were obtained for the three kids who are critically ill, the moms, a doctor, and a nurse. And so all eight of them got on a DC-8, on Sunday, uh, eight days after the accident, they fly to North Carolina. They move the kids from the DC-8 onto a Gulf Stream to fly them into Sioux City because our airport can't handle a DC-8. The engine blows on the DC-8 on the runway. Never happens. They have to take the kids after a 30-hour plane ride, take them off the Gulf Stream, take them to North Carolina Medical Center overnight on Sunday. Monday morning at 5 a.m., the ER doc from North Carolina calls me and says, Dr. Meyer, there is no way I can let these kids go. Little Doreen, I'm not sure she's going to make it through the flight. And I said, hey, dude, I understand your medical liability situation. I know that North Carolina could probably do a great job. But God, the creator of the universe, has told me he wants these kids in Sioux City, Iowa. I will sign a waiver. He's faxed me a piece of paper. I absolved him of all responsibility. They got on the plane. Doreen got here at 2 o'clock. She had a shattered jaw, a shattered hip a shattered shoulder, a broken femur, and four crushed vertebrae in her back. By the time she got here, John, she was completely paralyzed with no feeling from her chest down, no motion from her chest down, no control of her bladder and bowels. We operated on her on Monday night for six hours, fixing her arms, her shoulder, her leg, and her jaw. On Thursday, we took her to the operating room, and she's still completely paralyzed. And in, in transport, her vertebrae had translated, means they shifted side to side, 
And in the operating room at Mercy Hospital, I'm working with my neurosurgical colleague, Dr. Derwood, and I said, out really loud, I said, hey, if anybody's offended by prayer out loud, you better leave now because I'm not being politically correct. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. Have you ever read a classic book and then reread it months or years later? John and I do this with How to Win Friends and Influence People. I know many people that do this with Five Levels of Leadership by John Maxwell and many others. Well, Blinkist allows you to reread the key thoughts and insights of these books, as well as 2,500 more, most in less than 15 minutes. John and I both signed up for Blinkist last year, and we are big fans. I recently reread the Blinkist summary for How to Win Friends once a night for a few consecutive nights right before bed just to get those concepts in my conscious and subconscious minds. The app says that that one's a 21-minute read, but I got it done in around 15 minutes. I also re-reviewed other books like The Lean Startup, Played Bigger, Launched by Jeff Walker, The War of Art, many, many more. Read via their mobile app, which is beautifully designed, or at the website, or export to your Kindle. You can even listen to the audio versions on the go or while you read along. Here's the best part. You can try Blinkist for a free seven-day trial. Embedded in the summary of this MP3 is our affiliate link, which you can access at eternalleadership.com slash blink. That's eternalleadership.com slash blink. And if you subscribe by using that link we provide, it's an easy way to help support the work that John, Sandra, Phidias, Daisy, and myself are doing to keep this show going for you. We only want to promote products and services that we personally use and are fans of, and this is one of them. Check out that affiliate link, eternalleadership.com slash blink to learn more. Thanks. And so I said, so what prompted you in, in that moment right then that you just, that you had to pray? I mean, you're a very, very experienced, competent surgeon. I'm sure you're, you, I mean, you're totally like focused in, in the zone of all the things that you, you know, you and the whole team need to be doing to, this is on Doreen, correct? Right. Because I knew I was powerless to knew what had to happen. And, and I knew that I was putting, I was putting screws in Doreen's back that have a warning that said not to be put in anyone less than 120 pounds. And Doreen at that moment weighed 72 pounds. So mm-hmm. I knew I was doing an impossible task. I knew I could not affect the outcome. So I had been told before that it's offensive to pray out loud. But at that moment, I said, to heck with political correctness. And I put my hands on Doreen and so did Dr. Druid. And I prayed so bold, John. And I don't know. If I remember, though, you you told everybody, hey, we're going to be praying here. And if anybody wants to leave the operating theater, you know, I understand that. And how did everybody respond, Steve? Everybody bowed their heads and folded their hands. Everybody in the room. Because they knew they they could feel the tension. They could feel the the impossible situation that we were affecting in that moment. And I put my hands on Doreen and I said, God Almighty, you parted the Red Sea and you brought Lazarus back and only you could make Doreen walk. And I know that you are up to something really huge here and I'm calling on you right now, make Doreen walk. And we put 14 screws and two rods in Doreen's back. After the case, Dr. Gerwitz said, dude, you shouldn't pray for the impossible. And I said, that's exactly when I got to pray, uh, Quentin, is when things are impossible. And John... 83 days after that prayer, Doreen walked off the airplane in Arusha, Tanzania, and under her own power. Now, to put this in context, right, as I 
I mean, you, you deal with these kind of injuries all the time. You saw the damage to her body. Um, is this something that could have naturally happened or is this absolutely in the category of total miracle healing? Total miracle healing. And I mean, the rapidity of which she got her function back and the completeness that she got her function back. I looked at her spinal cord. I mean, she had four crushed vertebrae and her spinal cord looked like ground hamburger. And when we got out of the operating room, we both looked and said, you know, medically, there's little, if any, hope. And I'll never forget, John, I was up at the uh, hospital the following Tuesday making rounds at 11 o'clock at night, and I'm dictating on the phone. After examining Doreen, she has no feeling, no motion. I had squeezed her toes and pinched them so hard, and she never even acknowledged that I was pinching her that night. Um, the nurse screams out, get in here right away. I go rushing in the room, and there's little Doreen with this big smile on her face, wiggling the toes on her left foot. And the nurse and I just started to weep. And I went out and I mm -hmm. said, I'm altering my note. Doreen has some motion in her left toes. The nurse screams again, you won't believe this, come back. I went in, she's kicking her right leg. And at that moment, we both just almost collapsed with this incredible wave that came over us of like, we are witnessing a miracle. And because what you saw uh, in her body, that, that was from your, you know, from kind of the, the world traditional medical perspective, this is not possible, right? This was God healed her. A complete spinal cord injury with no feeling and no motion. 10 days after injury, there is literally 0% chance of complete recovery. And that's exactly what Doreen had. And so it was truly a modern miracle and really is why we started calling these kids the miracle kids. Everything about this story was God asking people to answer the call. And from Steve King to Dr. Joyce to Mercy Hospital, Ronald McDonald House where the kids rehabilitated to Madonna Rehab Center in Lincoln. Everyone involved in this story answered the call, and I believe that God has always effected his miracles through people. I always tell people that God did not need Moses to hold a stupid stick in the air to part the Red Sea, but that's exactly what he did. You know, he could have struck Goliath down by himself, but he used a little worthless shepherd boy to effect his miracles, and God always does his miracles through the weakest, unlikeliest person, and that would be me. I'm the least accomplished person to lead a ministry, but God has, for whatever reason, <clears throat> chosen the weak to um, humble the strong and to show his glory and his power. And that's what happened in this story. And that's why we call it the book Answer the Call, because I believe that God is speaking to us every day. I believe that God speaks through his word, he speaks through other believers, and he speaks through the still quiet voice. And when my wife called me out and said, we got to bring these kids back to America. My earthly answer was, it is absolutely, literally, completely crazy impossible. But there was that small, still voice that whispered to me, John, that said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so if we can live that way, if we can remember to be still in this crazy internet media driven world and be still in front of God and listen to his voice and to acknowledge that still quiet voice and answer the call, miracles will happen. Yeah. Now, now I'd love for you to share, Steve, 83 days after 
you know, you're laying your hands to pray on Doreen because she is, you know, about to pass away, in your opinion, will never walk ever again, be paralyzed. Now, 83 days, you are back in Tanzania, correct? With yep. her. Yes. And, and share the story of what happens as you, you walk off the plane. That was powerful. Well, the entire country of Tanzania shows up. And believe it or not, Congressman King, who had wanted to go to Tanzania with me for the last 10 years, could never find time to do it. And he calls me two weeks before we take off and said, have you found a time for the kids to go back? And I said, yeah, we just found out yesterday that Samaritan's Purse is going to take the kids back. And uh, he said, you won't believe what just happened. I just got asked by uh, a senator to go on a congressional delegation to Tanzania on the day, same day, August 18th, that the kids were arriving. So that was in itself kind of God, I think, smiling on Congressman King and saying, thanks for answering the call. We get there. Um, the kids get off the plane. The entire country of Tanzania is watching. There are thousands of people singing and celebrating. We're singing the Tanzanian and the American National Anthems together. This is just a great story of inter-country connectivity. And while we're there, we had all the families reunite. And this is a great story. So the families reunite, Sadia, Doreen, and Wilson's moms, dads, sisters, cousins, all come and stay at our guest house in Tanzania. And if you look in Webster's Dictionary under obnoxious, you'll see a picture of Sadia's little brother. <laughs> mm -hmm. Little Sadia's little 10-year-old brother was such a pain in our butt the entire two days we were with him. But we just kept hanging with them, hanging with them, hanging with them. Sadia and her entire family are Muslim. While they were here in Sioux City, we encouraged them to worship, to go to their mosque. But they also uh, went to Bible study and went to Bible skill school. And they got a taste of Christianity. Well, Sadia's little brother spent two days with us. And when we took the families home, the first two homes, Wilson and Doreen's, are strong Christian families. We said a big prayer of blessing over the families. We get to Sadia's home. It's her uncle's home because her mom and dad are divorced, and it's a very obvious uh, Muslim family. And the pastor with us, Pastor Jeff Moose, kind of signals to me, is it okay to pray in a Muslim house? I said, you know what? We've gotten great things so far through prayer. Let her go. And so he said a beautiful prayer of blessing in this Muslim home, thanking God Almighty and Jesus Christ for effecting these miracles. And Sadia's little obnoxious brother turns to Kevin Egard and says to us, I've never been around Christians like this before. Tomorrow, I'm changing my religion. Hmm. And what I say about that, John, is that we did not even mention the fact that he was going down the wrong path. We didn't give him a pamphlet. We didn't beat him over the head with the Bible. We just loved, we just lived Christian love in front of him for two days. And a 10-year-old boy whose heart is open to truth and to kindness and to the difference between true Christ followers and the rest of the world saw enough to really potentially get himself into a lot of trouble, to really potentially be excommunicated from his family by accepting Christ as what he would follow for the future. So as all of this has come together, as we kind of wrap up here, what, you know, just what final, you know, thoughts do you have having, you know, been part of all this, Steve? Well, you know, I think that the message in all of this is that when we work together, we can do anything with God's power. That, that none of this comes from us, 
but it comes because of the interconnectivity. And we, again, in our ministry STEM, talk constantly about being spirit-led, which means to listen to the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us, either through other people. Um, My wife spoke to me, and I listened, and I tested it, and it felt like it was a spirit-led request, and that God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through the small, still voice. And if we will respond to God's call in our lives um, by answering the call, miracles will happen. And the legacy of these kids is now continuing to have a tremendous impact. And one other amazing little vignette that really touches my heart is that when these kids went to Sioux City, they found a little dive bar that one of the rescuers, Kevin Egard, knows the owner of called the Townhouse Restaurant. And they love, love their chicken wings. So they went in every Wednesday night for Wing Wednesday and almost every Saturday. And in lily white, very blue collar, very redneck Sioux City, Iowa, every time they went to pay the tab, some random trucker, construction worker, or farmer had picked up the tab. Wow. How cool is that? Well, you know, and I think, John, in this time of unprecedented divisiveness, both politically and racially in this country, we need stories like this that remind us that we can cross the barriers of different creeds and cultures and countries, and we can unite and celebrate our common humanity and the fact that we all have the same creator. Mm -hmm. Creator God made us all for a purpose. He has a plan for our lives, like it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, that he knows the plans he has for us. And if we will follow God's plan for our lives and think more about the fruits of the spirit, love and kindness and patience and long suffering where we can unite, this world can be a different place. It's not Mm -hmm. through bitterness and strife and anger. It's through watching three broken, um, nearly dead African kids be healed, be restored, be recovered and returned and see how they've impacted our community of Siouxland. They're back right now. I brought them back with me a week ago from Tanzania. So, And these kids get off the airplane in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. They get a microphone stuck in their face and a camera. And the camera guy said, why are you here? And they said, we need to come back to thank our American friends who saved us. And the perspective that they have, and even Jane Goodall, came all the way to Tanzania to meet these three miracle kids at our orphanage. And that was an amazing experience for me because I idolized her growing up, looked at these kids and held them by the face and was an inch away from their eyes and said, God, the creator of the universe saved you three for a purpose. Hmm. Never forget it. And I truly believe that these kids are chosen by God for something incredibly special. And they're starting to live that out as we speak today. Wow, that's what an, um, I just love what you know what you've done and how you've put yourself out there. And then you know, the, first of all, in the book, I'm sure there's so many people listening, and this is a, a powerful book that you need to read. The book is Answer the Call. And where can they find the book, Steve? Yeah, the book can be uh, obtained on Amazon. Um, uh, there's a five dollar uh, Kindle version available. The best way to get the book, though, is to just visit our website at stem.org, and we'll send you a copy of the book. And STEM Uh, has two M's, right? Yep, STEM has two M's, Siouxland, Tanzania, Educational Medical Ministry, so S-T-E-M-M.org. 
um, you can order the book. Um, we'll send it out to you. Um, if you request a signed copy, we'll try to accommodate that as well. I've yet to find someone who did not feel that the book incredibly impacted their life, their heart, and their soul. Well, it did me and my my son. And I got to tell you, uh, just so encouraging, you know, especially such a powerful and vivid reminder that you know, you know, you read about a lot of these miracles as you read the Bible. You don't hear about things like that happening in the present. And I know God is working big time right now across the world in so many lives. But, you know, it's not in the press. We don't hear about it a lot. And this is such an, an important reminder, Steve, too, that, you know what? God is with us right now. He is working through all of us. And like you talked about before, that metaphor with the uh, grandma's needlepoint, right? All this you know, seemingly random threads and kind of this messy life that, you know, how it feels sometimes it's all coming together. And the other side of that is this beautiful picture that God is putting together. And we don't know, you know, always know his plans, but look at everything that happened that led up to, right, laid the foundation, everything that led to that moment when everything came together to save these three kids. And, and you know what, you were there and all these other people to answer the call and be part of it. And I think that's something, you know, a huge takeaway for me is that, you know, God is just as active now or even maybe more active than he ever has been. And I, I, I want people to walk away from this, not thinking that Steve Meyer's anything special. And, and you know, my story, John, I mean, I was literally suicidally depressed when God brought through amazing circumstances, a young lady from YWAM who was traveling through Sioux city literally two weeks before she came and, and I was called into the emergency room when I wasn't even on call to take care of her. I had a shotgun loaded and w was ready to end my life because of my moral failures. I was a total knucklehead. I was, I cheated on my wife. I cheated on my taxes. I went to church and was not in any way, shape or form what Christ would want me to be. And in that moment of my lowest moment of my life, God came through, through a young lady with YWAM. And ultimately I went to China. I had a born again experience and the Holy Spirit filled my heart. And I'm still so far less than a perfect person. I mean, God has, if you're out there thinking, well, God can't use me because I'm not a hotshot orthopedic surgeon. I'm not a theologian. Throughout the entire Bible, John, God used the least likely people to do the most incredible things. He used Moses, who was a murderer, outcast, fugitive, who stuttered to speak to Pharaoh. He used Gideon, the biggest wimp in the entire village, to lead an army to rout um, the enemies of Israel. And the, the um, disciples were the lowest class of people in that day. The fishermen, the tax collectors, 12 disciples were chosen by God to change the world for Christ. And so if you feel unqualified, you're exactly where God wants you. God can do anything when we answer his call. And to a point, almost everybody that Jesus called, that God called from Moses to Gideon said, I'm not qualified. Mm -hmm. I mean, David was not even qualified for an interview to be king. All of his 12 brothers got interviewed and David was out herding sheep. But God wanted the one who wasn't qualified so that his power and glory could be magnified and shown to the world. And so if you don't feel qualified, if you're sitting there thinking, well, that's not me, guess what? God has a plan for you. Wow. That is 
That is beautiful, man. Thank you for ending with that note because it's so true. And you know what? Every single person out there, you know, it's just on my heart, right? If you, you know, you just step into the gap a little bit like you did, right? And you touch the lives of just a hundred people because you're, you know, you're out in the world. You're, you're, you're bringing the light of Christ into what you do in any way that you know how, right? And those hundred people touch a hundred people who touch a hundred people. Every single person, regardless of your station or background or life choices, can can have a positive influence. That's a million people, a hundred times a hundred times a hundred, and that is right in front of every single one of us, isn't it, Steve? Absolutely. And again, um, we all have special gifts and talents, and you know, it's like a great Shakespearean play where the light guy, the sound guy, the guy cleaning up after the event is every bit of important in God's economy. There's no one, the lead actor is not more important than the guy who's turning the lights on. Because if you don't have lights, you don't have a play, right? And so don't think that your role in God's kingdom is less important because all that we're asked to do, all that God asks us to do is answer his call and to fulfill the role that he has planned for us in his kingdom and his universe for eternity. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for answering the call. Thank you for being here today. Everybody out there, uh, the book is Answer the Call. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it through STEM, S-T-E-M-M.org. If, also, you can go to that website if you want to uh, find out more about what Steve and his whole team's doing in Tanzania. If you want to be part of it or donate, you know, uh, what Steve is doing is using all of that to go down and just serve the people there medically and use that as a vehicle to, you know, spread the gospel. And it's so important down there. Just Steve, thank you. And please send my love and my thanks to your entire team and your wife and everybody that, you know, played a role uh, in this incredible story. Thanks for having me on today and uh, keep us in your prayers. And uh, God's got great plans ahead um, for you and your ministry. And uh, I'm just blessed by being a part of it. Oh, thank you, brother. Right back at you.